If what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? Gary Hoffman. That sounds like somebody I know. Shannon Farron. She can help you with your woman problem, too. I mean, women look up to her. For what? Who are these people? You keep making it. Gary and Shannon. My advice to you, start drinking heavy. You can be cool. You can be shy. Say what you want. The Dow. The Dow is up 449. Gotta keep an eye on that. We're like the Dow today. Coming in a little hot. With a smile on our faces. Yeah, you ruined someone's day already in the garage. She was ruined because she forgot something in her car. She just almost ran into me when she did the about face. And then you did your face. But I didn't mean to. I was just busy looking somewhere else. It's not that I meant to have a mean face on. It's Apparently, just Hoffman. that's Ugh. just the way it is. Monica even has a name for it. Resting Gary face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My wife and daughter that, that came up with resting grump face last night. Mm-hmm. So it's the same initials, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, it's your face. It's this. You know what? What? It's your face. It's <laughs> it's the look that somebody would have uh, if they smelled something really bad, like that was right next to them. Like yeah, uh, imagine like if Victor's someone corpse flower. If imagine if someone fills their diaper right next to you. Yeah. What? That's the what face, face you, you have on. Not all the time. Oh, that smelled so good. Not all the time. But it it happens when you're not paying attention and you don't realize it's happening. There, that there's that smile. See, then I can smile, and when any anybody goes face, I go hee. Ooh, that's almost creepier to me. No, because you don't smile that much. I know. What are you was, talking about? I smile all the time. Was, I have everything to be happy about. Monica, I know, but it's just I don't know. Monica, it was so weird this weekend when I said fix your face to him, and he put on that smile, and I was oh. like, who is that guy? No, I don't think I've ever seen that guy. All it's Robot right. Gary. It was the dead eyes that kind of... Oh, dead eyes. talking dead eyes? <laughs> oh, that was me. You guys are going to make me frown. Stop it. Bottom of this hour, we're going to tell you this weird story out of Fiji. There was a Texas couple who went on vacation and died within a few days of showing up in Fiji. And listen, it might be as simple as the flu, but... The Fijian health officials and the Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization are all paying a very um, awkward amount of attention to this story. And there are at least five locals there in Fiji who are now under observation because they may have had contact with this couple from Texas. Well, the president wrapping up his tour of London, he predicted today that Britain would follow through with its plans to leave the European Union and said the exit would be very good for the country. He's weighing in on Brexit. He's weighing in on Boris Johnson, saying that he would make a good UK prime minister. Yeah, there were a couple of people who um, he did not like. One of them, of course, he reiterated his dislike for Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London. Well, I think he's been a uh, not very good mayor from what I understand. He's done a poor job. Crime is up. A lot of problems. And I don't think he should be criticizing uh, a representative of the United States that can do so much good for the United Kingdom. Uh, We talked about it before. He should be positive, not negative. He's a negative force, not a positive force. And if you look at what he said, he hurts the people of this great country. And I think he should actually focus on his job. It'd be 
a lot better if he did that. He could straighten out some of the problems that he has and probably some of the problems that he's caused. Zing! I think he was emboldened to weigh in on all of this because of the massive red carpet that was laid out for this trip. Activists and Democrats not happy with the lavish royal welcome that, that they think he was given when he remains in their eyes a danger to the world yeah the main opposition party in britain right now the labor party is led by uh jeremy corbyn who in a speech not too long ago actually out on the streets of london uh had suggested that uh, that president trump was a fascist and then the president was asked about jeremy corbyn i don't know jeremy corbyn never met him never spoke to him he wanted to meet today or tomorrow and i i decided that i would not do that Uh, I think that he is, from where I come from, somewhat of a negative force. I think that uh, people should look to do things correctly as opposed to criticize. I really don't like critics as much as I like and respect people that get things done. Um, There are a couple of things. Now, in terms of the Jeremy Corbyn invitation the president uh, said he turned it down, didn't want to speak to him. There was also a story that he did not want to meet with the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. And then Boris Johnson, like you said, the American-born guy with the wacky hair who could probably become the next prime minister once Theresa May steps down, uh, that the president invited Boris Johnson to speak, and Boris Johnson said no, at least not meet face-to-face. Apparently they spoke by phone. So uh, this is, you know, this is one of those long-time relationships between the two countries that will survive a number of things. It will survive when the queen, God rest her soul, finally decides to kick it and pass it on to Charles. It will long survive World Wars One and Two, and any other military involvement that we've seen and been a part of with them. And it's long going to surpass and survive whatever presidency Donald Trump has, whether it's four years or eight years, whatever. It's it. This goes far beyond any of our relationship with the UK goes far beyond any individuals or even people in leadership. So this I don't, people don't need to worry about this in terms of the protests outside, by the way, they're nothing what uh, what was expected. Uh, I've seen some of the video and yes, there are a lot of people out there. But it is not the several hundred thousand people that were promised. 30 years ago was Tiananmen Square. China is still terrified of that and what it represented. They're censoring like crazy today to make sure people don't get a fire lit on them. It's weird that we live in a country where all that I shouldn't say all the information is available to us. But if you look hard enough, you're going to find all the information, good and bad, whatever you like, the ugly, oh, the, yeah. the pretty. In China, that's not available. No. I mean, you're, if you're under the age of 30 in China, you might not even understand what that means. I what couldn't Tiananmen pull up a newspaper on my phone when I was in the airport. In China? Yeah. That's weird. Unavailable. Network unavailable. Some message that I had never seen before. It, it, was, it was impossible to get information for that layover for like four hours or whatever Did it was. Did it call you comrade? We're sorry, comrade. That link does not work. No. Um, When we come back, the latest on the tariffs with Mexico, we're just uh, shorter than a week away from when then should start taking place, kicking in at 5%. We'll talk about what sort of an impact that's going to have here in just a few minutes. Gary and Shannon. Tuesday, it is uh, June 4th. Next hour, 
We spent a lot of time last week actually talking about uh, Galaxy's Edge, the new park at uh, Disneyland Resort. So we're going to get a firsthand account from a guy who was there, a friend of mine who is sort of an insider. But that's all we're going to say. Just say he's an insider. I love this. Police at the University of California, Davis, say a bear has been spotted on campus. I saw that story as well. And they're asking students to stay away from it. A bear? Yeah. At UC Davis. Aren't they? Oh, no. No, they're the Aggies. Yeah. But but (laughs) where would a bear hide when he's not on campus? It's not like... It's not in a mountainous region. No. It's pretty flat there. Pretty uh, barren from what I remember. Wouldn't it be... Get it? Barren? Wouldn't it be funny if it's not a bear? It's just a big brown dog walking around? Or what if it's a woman who runs like a bear? Well, we've seen the Norwegian lady who runs like a horse. You're damn right we have. And I've seen some uh, some people who look like horses. <laughs> uh, like Peyton Manning or? Why the long face? So while the president was in London, one of the things that they asked him about at this news conference with Theresa May today was, of course, the uh, the tariffs on Mexico. We are going to see if we can do something, but I think it's more likely that the tariffs go on. And we'll probably be talking during the time that the tariffs are on and they're going to be paid. Uh, he, the president, says he expects to begin hitting Mexico with those tariffs next week, the 5% tariff in this ongoing fight over illegal immigration. He said that millions of migrants enter the U.S. through Mexico, that it's unacceptable, that Mexico must stop it. And he says he does think that Mexico is going to be taking steps to halt the migrant flow. But if they won't, we're going to be putting tariffs on. Of course, the 5% that would start next week and then go uh, periodically up to about 25% in October. I love the way NPR wrote this, that uh, until he's satisfied that Mexico is acting with new alacrity to Mm. stop migrants from crossing into the United States. Because everyone's trying to find a way to quantify this, right? Like, what exactly does Mexico have to do for us to call this thing off? But we haven't had a lot of details on that. And so we're all kind of searching for what the president's looking for. And NPR decided that they needed uh, enthusiasm from Mexico to for Mexico to be excited about stopping the flow of illegal immigration through through their country. Yeah, which is. Uh, uh, but so again, that's it. They just have to be excited enthusiasm? about it. How do you measure that? How do you determine what's true and what isn't when it comes to that? Uh, the issue, I don't even know if the president knows what he's looking for. Um, and specifically, he might not know. Uh, listen, th- he's threatened things like this in the past and then backed off on them. Right. And even though this is something that you know, as the clock continues to tick down to June 10th, which is when the first five percent tariffs are supposed to take place, I don't. Uh, like you said, I don't know if there is a clear definition of what would be <clears throat> acceptable for the administration to not impose the tariffs. The National Association for Business Economists put together a survey of smart people who look at the economy and try to figure out what sort of an impact these tariffs would potentially have. Greg Daco is a a guy who looks at the survey numbers. A near totality of our panelists see the risks from tariffs to growth as being negative and that most of our panelists expect the increase in trade protectionism to be negative for the U.S. economy. The... Tariffs could not come at a worse time for oil refineries here in America. Mexico is the number two foreign source of oil to the United States. 
supply a hell of a lot of oil to ExxonMobil, Valero, other refiners. Now, we're dependent on Mexico because the country produces heavy oil that can be blended to produce the gasoline, the economy, the jet fuel that, that fuels, you know, the entire economy. And that heavy oil is already in short supply because we're not dealing with Venezuela, which if we were dealing with Venezuela, we could get it from them. So the tariffs on Mexico are going to complicate this even more. We're going to have to buy, we're going to have to pay more, really, to buy oil from other places. And then energy prices are going to go up. Yeah, and even if you, even if we, the United States, are now exporting more oil than we're importing, we're dealing with different quality of oil. Most of the oil that comes from the United States is uh, from the shale boom which is a very light version of this. And they're saying that the high-quality crude that we make is no match for the refinery system that's in the Gulf Coast states that is decades old and was concentrating and uh, was was built to deal with what they called the heavy barrels at the time. So you take our oil, you combine it with the heavy barrels, and that allows the refiners to maximize production. But if we don't have those heavy barrels, then our light crude, slight sweet, glorious crude does not work the same way. It doesn't work in those refineries the same way. Well, and if refiners are going to be paying more for the heavy oil to make it work the right way, where do you think they're going to pass that on to? Well, see, that's the other issue. Uh, We're clearly going to be paying more, whether it's for Mexico or China. We will be, you and I, the consumer, we will be paying more for these things. The question is, are we willing to swallow that? Are we willing to buy the um, the more expensive products that are built overseas or produced overseas in an attempt to sort of rejigger, reset the playing field here? Now, the president thinks that the long game is that we will endure, we will pay these prices, we will turn to products that are built and grown in the United States in an attempt to reset the playing field. But that's not the history of what we've done. Our our spending power, as glorious as it is in the American economy, we kind of have uh, very little patience for prices that go up like this. Lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, are talking about maybe overriding this tariff. They say that they're looking at calling a vote to pass a resolution of disapproval on the president's use of a declaration of national emergency, which allows him to impose the tariff. Now, again, this goes into effect June 10th. If a vote passes by a majority, it would be veto-proof. But if it... hmm, So they can do something about it. I didn't know that they could do something about it. Um, the We know that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has already said that they would take it to court as well. So there may be a couple of things over the next few days that get in the way of imposing these 5% tariffs. Um, and we know that Mexico would be happy with that. Well, before we get into the couple and this nightmare story out of Fiji, maybe an apology is what you want to offer up. No. John wrote to us on Facebook. Gary. Hi. I doubt it bothers you, but I think you're an a-hole for revealing the outcome of tonight's Jeopardy program. Not everybody has access to inside info. See, that's why people think I am that, because I don't smile when I do things like that. Here's the thing. Inside information that was published in the New York Times is not inside information. I didn't have inside information that said that the guy was going to lose. When I woke up yesterday morning, I knew that the guy was going to lose because I had read it in, oh, I don't know, a newspaper. So. 
The it's vac- not like I watched the Super Bowl and then told you who was going to win the Super Bowl. The vacation story from hell when we return. It's not like I know who's going to win the election. Fix your face. It's not like I know who's going to win the election. I can't wait to go home. I'm on my way. Driving country Say it. So much of what you just said is makes me have a head. Why? Because we shouldn't employ children like that. Well, it's a legitimate work that she would be doing for us. She's of age. It's not like she's 12 and we're putting her in a sweatshop to toil away on Apple computers or build Apple phones. Or iPhones? Whatever. (laughs) You know those things. Uh, game three tonight, NBA Finals. You going to be watching? Yes. We the North. I saw that on the uh, game two. That's a thing now? I've never heard that slogan before. We the North? Is that like a Game of Thrones thing? No, it's like Toronto's the northernmost city that has a basketball team. Ah. We the North. Okay. North America? No. Oh. North like Canada, like America's hat. And and by the way, was it was it Clay Thompson? Was it? Kevin Durant was calling Drake by his real first name. I think it was kind of both of them. And I'm pretty sure We the North is a Game of Thrones thing. (laughs) Is it? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Well, what does that have to do with basketball? It's because they're the North. But We the North? We the North. I don't know. It's just like they're just uniting themselves. Ah, they need to find. How about We Love the Raptors? I mean, it doesn't quite have the same catch. You're yes. running uh, the Toronto Raptors marketing department now? No, I'm not. Fix you your face. can. It's fine. Fixing face. And uh, game three tonight in Oakland, so they'll be just fine. Michael Avenatti says he'll fight a bid by the state bar of California to keep him practicing law in the state. The bar yesterday asked the state bar court to place him on involuntary inactive enrollment. <laughs> Sit down. As Ken would say, off the stage. Um, the ongoing... Congressional investigations into the president just hit a snag because it looks like uh, the White House has been directing more former employees not to cooperate. This time, Hope Hicks and Annie Donaldson have been told not to provide documents to the House Judiciary Committee. Both of those women are uh, mentioned several times in the uh, in the Mueller report. Well, this story caught our eye this morning because, well, anytime you get the phrase dies from an unknown illness, you click, right? Because you want to know, oh my gosh, they don't know what this illness is and what are the symptoms and do I have it? Well, chances are no. I mean, when you sprinkle on a a, a, a smidge of vomiting and diarrhea and then numbness in your extremities, chances are you're not going to have all three of those at the same time, right? Right. I mean, numbness in the extremities usually only comes around after you have too many gummies. So, should I answer it? Sure, you can. Okay. You want to go in the other room? Yeah. Okay. Uh, In this case, it turns out that David and Michelle Paul were on the trip of a lifetime. They were from Fort Worth, Texas, drop off their son and a dog and go on this vacation to Fiji. Both healthy, you know, mid 30s. David was an Air Force veteran. Michelle was a, a collegiate swimmer and stayed in great shape, et cetera, according to the family. 
and they within mo- within moments within hours i guess of of showing up in fiji uh, start showing symptoms of like i said the old uh, uh liquidation sale they and- went to a clinic Okay. They go to a clinic. 15 minutes out. Oh, okay. All right. uh, (laughs) They go to a clinic and then to a hospital where they were treated and then released. The the husband was given IV bags to treat his symptoms because he needed rehydration. Uh, She did not have any of the IV. So it wasn't that. It turns out that they were going to leave. So they show up on May 22nd. On May 26th, they were going to leave Fiji. But it was May 25th that Michelle's family got a call that she had died. And then David died three days later. And they have no idea why. That's, now, the, that's the most terrifying part. The World Health Organization did issue a flu alert, specifically an influenza alert for Fiji and some of the uh, islands in that area. And they said that whatever strain of flu had been hitting the area was particularly dangerous to younger adults. I mean, these guys, you know, in their mid-30s probably wouldn't necessarily qualify for that. But outside of the, you know, flu being potentially dangerous for the super young and the super old, this had, a, for some reason, was affecting these uh, these young adults uh, more crucially, more critically. This is a couple that travels very regularly. Um, they had been really anticipating this trip for a while. They were excited. And the family just never worries about their safety because they travel so much. Uh, they had the proper immunizations, the whole bit. The Fijian Health Department, run by a Dr. Ifiriemi Wakanibite, Get it. said in a mysteri- ministerial statement that was put out that five people have now been placed under observation because of this mystery illness the five people who may have had the closest contact with michelle and david before they died a couple of security guards a couple of medical staff and a police officer and the hotel where they were staying 10 people from the hotel where they were staying have been told you stay home we'll still pay you but we don't want to have anybody who may have had contact with them or their room to be back at the property anytime soon. Just insanity. And then left behind little kids, too, which is so sad. Oh, and get this. The families, even though obviously they want a, you know, a closure here, they cannot send the remains back to the United States until a cause of death is determined. And if it is, in fact, a, an infectious disease, Fijian law and World Health Organization rules require that those bodies be cremated regardless of what the family's wishes were. Oh, wow. They've got to be cremated before they'll return the remains back to the United States. Amber wrote to us on Facebook. We were talking about Tiananmen Square and about how uh, China is still censoring what happened on that day 30 years ago uh, because they're just terrified of the sentiment behind pro-democracy groups. And Amber wrote to us, we were in China 10 years ago. We visited the Forbidden City and saw Tiananmen Square the day before the 20th anniversary. Our tour guide rushed us by the square and didn't say anything about it. The first few hours we were in the country, we could access Facebook and Twitter. As my husband was on the Internet, the pages were blocked because people were starting to post about the anniversary. It was our first experience seeing the restrictions the government applied to citizens. It was weird. Absolutely. It's this it's this odd feeling when you can't get access to information and news and what's going on in other parts of the world or whatever. You know, it's this it's this unreal feeling, because like you said, here in America, we have access to everything. I mean, Cheesecake Factory menu. We've got it all. Um, And to have that cut off from you is a jarring feeling.
but to also know that those people live in a place where that yeah. is a they don't know any different than that. Right. And if they did start seeing information about it, would they consider it conspiracy theory level uh, truth, you know, sort of uh, made up stuff about a history that never happened? All right. You've got a theory behind this Jeopardy loss. 100 percent. I'm with you. I'm- oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Spoiler alert. Did we forget the spoiler alert? Yeah. I think, I think everybody knows. Okay. Well, I'm just making sure because obviously people still get. I'm sorry. I was getting mad face again. People still get upset about things like spoilers, even though they happened 15 hours ago on the television. Um, the television. Kevin wanted to let you know that, Gary, baseball is not tonight. It's Wednesday. Baseball? Uh, I believe he means game three is Wednesday. Oh, it is? Basketball. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's game. Yeah, no, it's tomorrow. Oh, okay. Never mind. But there might be baseball on today. There will be baseball on today. Many baseballs on today. <laughs> we'll talk about Jeopardy when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Are you going to play the music? Which music? The Jeopardy music. Uh, it's kind of cliche. It's so it? cliche. It's so hack. And if I hear anyone else do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Was that too much? That's too much. This must be love. Gary and Shannon on this Dumb Dumb Tuesday. I'm sorry. You're getting everything wrong. You got the the basketball game date wrong. You Tom, got... Cindy, and Cameron all emailed me. He's an idiot, too. I agree. Lauren uh, let us know on Twitter that Portland is more north than Toronto, Gary. I expected more from someone who lived in the Pacific Northwest. Also, We the North was started back in 2014, so it could be a Game of Thrones thing. And then we had Victor that kicked off Dum Dum Tuesday earlier this morning when we were asking him if he was going to come out to our news and brews, which I'll get to. Uh, and he said, what time is it? Hey, Gary, we all make mistakes, right? Let's just <laughs> move on from Let's this. Let's just wallow in our mistakes, Let's, shall we? Hey, happy face. Yeah, happy <laughs> face. Let's just wallow in our mistakes, shall we, James Holzhauer? News Look. and brews, June 14th. We will be out at HQ Gastropub. We've been there before. It's a great time. We're going to be in Huntington Beach. It's off 5th at PCH. Does this count as our third at HQ Gastropub? I think, I think you're right. Because the one that you couldn't go to and I was flying at the time still counts as a news and bruise. It does. And then I remember going there one time when your wife was there. And that was a couple years ago. That's true. So this will be a great time. Again, Friday, June 14th. You know what to do. And Victor, it's 10 to 2 is the broadcast. (laughs) The Gary and Shannon show is on from 10 to 2. HQ Gastropub. We'll see you there. Monday through Friday. Toronto is 43 degrees and 70 minutes north. 4370. Portland is 45. 45 degrees and 52. Northerner country? Yeah. You got this, man. Well, let's talk about another loser, shall we? James Holhauser. Oh, Holzhauer. Whatever. First of all, I want everybody to play along. This does not count as a gas go-round, but this is something I think we should all do just in our heads, okay? James Holzhauer has won $2.5 million or something ridiculous like that, uh, dominated Jeopardy for weeks. He has, like, the top 14 all-time daily winnings for Jeopardy. 
the guy's a nerd, which is great because he's making all kinds of money at it, and this is exactly how he can do it. And he has uh, made a name for himself, although I don't know if it's going to result in any sort of romantic interludes, perhaps, for him. Uh, but this was the clue in last night's final Jeopardy. He was he was behind last night by a couple thousand dollars to a woman named Emma Bocher. Yeah, she is a librarian from the University of Chicago. Uh, she's also a nerd who once wrote a master's thesis about Jeopardy. Here was the clue from last night's final Jeopardy. The line, a great reckoning in a little room in As You Like It, is usually taken to refer to this author's premature death. Ah. Any ideas? Hemingway. No. Shakespearean times is what we're looking for. Oh. Chaucer. No. Edgar Allan Poe? No, stop it, dumb dumb. The correct answer. Let's go to James Holzer. The guy in the middle last night. Who, sorry, that's mean. That's really mean. I didn't mean to lash out like that. I did it with a smile on my face, though. Um, the the guy in the middle last night really didn't mean anything and got the answer wrong anyway. So he doesn't matter. So we go to James Holzhauer, who had again, like I said, the second most money going into the final Jeopardy question. Over to James. Now he had twenty three thousand four hundred, and his response was. Correct. His wager, a modest one for the first time, that takes him to twenty-four thousand. He only bet like fourteen hundred bucks. Huh. So Emma, it's up to you. If you came up with a correct response, you're going to be the new Jeopardy champion. Did you? You did. What did you wager? Oh gosh, twenty thousand. What a payday. Well, what was the answer? A. Kit Marlowe. Okay, and yes. B, um, I can understand his conservative wager because he's playing against a librarian and it's a literary category. Yeah, but if she, it doesn't matter because if she wins since she had more money, it almost didn't matter. He could have bet all of it I and see. been right as okay. long as she bet enough money. So it was that big of a discrepancy. Well, it was a couple thousand dollars, but she, it was a... His bet was to play for her to get it wrong. He was, exactly. His bet was... To beat her by one dollar, something like that, or whatever it was. The thing about it is, uh, he lost after weeks out there. Now, the other part about this, when you think about the phenomenon that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, people uh, trying to get me to uh, watch Jeopardy and ruin my marriage, um, is that all of these shows were recorded months ago. In fact, this show was recorded in March when Emma beat him. So Emma, at that point had no idea how many wins this guy had racked up by the time guy he killed children at a sleepover and for some reason she's going after and trying to get him freed from prison we'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon Black holes, solid There are certain cases to hang your hat on if you are involved in a group like the Innocence Project, the people who are trying to find people who were convicted falsely, wrongly convicted, and and help exonerate them. There are cases to hang your hat on. I'm sure there are. I, I don't know of any. 
But well, the the show that I just started watching last night on Netflix. We'll talk more about uh, later today, and actually tomorrow when we do what you're watching Wednesday is when they see us about the Central Park Five. Oh yeah, perfect example of like a case that's that you would feel good if it was done correctly, and it never was from the very beginning. That case does drive me insane, and. Um that show I have gotten very close to clicking on to watch, and I just know it's going to infuriate me the entire time. It's, but that's not a that's not enough a good excuse to to not watch it. I mean, I've read a couple books on it um, before because I just wanted to know how it was so badly screwed up. Yeah, like they, the tunnel vision that they had and the racism involved. It was it's just really hard to fathom that that would be what happens in reality. Well. Uh, Kim Kardashian really sort of hit the radar when it came to sort of this innocence project, this idea that she wants to uh, crusade against mass incarceration and get people out of prison who probably don't need lifetime sentences. The one that really got the the publicity was Alice Marie Johnson, the 63-year-old great-grandma who was in Alabama in jail for life, actually, for laundering money and drug conspiracy. And that she... Uh, Kim Kardashian met with the president about that, that spawned a, a a bill in Congress about changing rules for mass incarceration, et cetera. And since then, she's helped with the release of 17 other inmates who are facing what she argued were lengthy prison sentences. Now she's on to Kevin Cooper. And this is a name that should definitely ring a bell if you're from Southern California, because this is somebody who wiped out a family and some family friends in Chino Hills. It was in 1983 that Kevin Cooper carried out these murders. Now, let's go back even further, shall we? Let's talk about Kevin Cooper. He's 60 60 years old now. He has an extensive criminal past that began as a kid. He was sent to juvenile custody numerous times, not one, not two, not three more, when he was a teenager, when he was a kid. He went on to commit rape and burglary. In fact, sentenced to a two-year prison term in 1977 for burglarizing a home in Pittsburgh. He later said in court, he stipulated to the fact that he kidnapped and raped a minor female who interrupted him during a burglary. Over the next five years, he went on to be convicted and sentenced to jail twice for burglaries. Of course, because we love to give out second and third and fifth and ninth chances in this country, he was released on probation in 1982. He escaped from a Pennsylvania psychiatric facility, and he came here to California. It was very quickly that he was convicted of two burglaries in the L.A. area. He started serving a four-year sentence in Chino. And because we, again, don't know what the hell we're doing, he was assigned to a minimum security section and was able to escape on June 2nd, 1983. It was three days later that he turns up in Chino Hills. Yeah, and in this case, he had killed uh, Christopher Hughes, who had spent the night in in a a friend's house. He found Douglas and Peggy Ryan, their 11-year-old daughter Jessica, and Christopher, all of them dead. Uh, just a brutal murder scene. Chopped hatchet, with a knife, hatchet. Ice pick. All of that stuff. Uh, just unfathomable stuff. Now, the eight-year-old son of Douglas and Peggy, uh, Josh, had survived, even though his throat had been cut. Nothing was stolen, it appears, outside of the car. There was no money stolen or anything like that. And they they figured out that Kevin Cooper 
had hidden out in a vacant house next door, about 125 yards away for, for two days, made repeated calls from that house to a couple of female friends asking for money to help with the escape. And he testified at trial. He left the house as soon as it got dark. He hitchhiked to Mexico. He checked into a hotel in Tijuana. All of this, all of this stuff is completely uh, verifiable. He checked into a hotel in Tijuana uh, on June 5th. Uh, Cooper then became friends with an American couple who owned a sailboat, hitches a, hide a, hitches a ride on the sailboat with them as a crew member, and he cruises up and down California, Baja, etc., for seven weeks. He's then accused of raping a woman on a boat docked nearby seven weeks later. And while visiting the sheriff's office to report the crime, the rape victim saw this wanted poster with Coper's photograph and said, that's the guy. That's the guy who did it. Now, he pleaded guilty to the escape from charge from prison. And in videotaped testimony, the kid, the eight-year-old kid who survived, said that there were uh, three guys who came to the house looking for work. He didn't identify the killer, but said in an audio tape uh, with his uh, treating psychiatrist that he saw the back of a single man attacking his mother. That kid's testimony has been called into question because he was a kid. Uh, uh, Blood evidence, though, suggests that it was Kevin Cooper. I mean, they did 2001. They did post-trial DNA testing, and the results of those DNA tests failed to exonerate him of the murders. And they said that his DNA was present at the crime at the crime scene in the stolen station wagon no dna belonging to other assailant no other dna was present so again there's cases to hang your hat on and then there's others where it is very hurtful to the family that has to go on living after their children are murdered You know, when you see a name like Kim Kardashian West trying to exonerate the man that killed your little girl, um, that's got to rip your heart out, right? Because he's going to get he's going to get more attention because she attaches her name to it, right? And and then more people are going to call it into question, and it brings back all of those feelings that you have and you've tried to deal with since since it happened. it can almost do two things there. Twenty-five because, years ago, because number one, it, it brings attention to this guy's crime and the the questions of what may have been wrong with the testimony, like the testimony of an eight-year-old boy. But it also comes. It also brings with it the detail, the brutal, just ridiculously brutal nature of the crime, and the fact that this guy was also, like I said, wanted for a rape. He had escaped from a psych hospital in in Pennsylvania. I mean, this was not a good guy. And to pin this, uh, you know, these uh, three murders on this guy seems to be pretty clear based on the evidence. Let's not forget all the rapes and the burglaries and all of the violent crime that he even admitted to. Yeah. Again, this is somebody who should be in prison for the rest of his life. So Kim Kardashian has met with former Governor Jerry Brown. She's met with Gavin Newsom. Both of them have agreed to additional DNA testing to settle the issue once and for all. She's currently enrolled in that four-year apprenticeship with a law firm in San Francisco so that she could become an attorney like her father. Well, let's think about who her father represented yeah, exactly. in the most high-profile case in the state of California. Exactly. Um, all right. Apparently, we should maybe do a segment at some point in the show about the finals, the NBA finals, because like the emails it's- and the messages continue to roll in. When you said, are you going to watch game three tonight? It's- and that's all you said. And I was and like, you yeah, said probably. no. 
Well, you meant to say no because you weren't going to watch it tonight. Right. You were going to watch it tomorrow night like everyone else will. Right. Because it's tomorrow but night. The amount of emails and messages we've gotten to clarify that Game 3 is on Wednesday is blowing my mind. I just didn't know that we had that many NBA fans listening. So, I mean, we could do a whole thing on the finals if you want. We can dive into Steph Curry and KD and, and, and all of that. All right. Our official NBA finals correspondent. You know, Kawhi Leonard, is he going to stay? I don't know. Uh, Victor, what do you uh, what do you predict for Game Three in the NBA Finals? Uh, Did you just call him Dumb Dumb Victor? I I think someone's going to win the game. Excellent. We'll get yeah. back with some of this hot takes <laughs> on Gary and Shannon Sports Roundup. And the swarm of earthquakes. Oh my God. sneeze. Is it? Sorry. Inner thought. No, that was an outer thought. That was a very public thought. It meant to be an inner thought. Okay. Monica Rick. Ew! There it goes. You feel better now? Yeah. Hey, you can join us, Gary and Shannon, us, the entire KFI cast, Conway, John and Ken, handle everybody for a magical evening in a secret undisclosed mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Famous, Famous for magic. For what? For magic. 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 Your charitable donation includes this. A gourmet dinner, cocktails, free valet parking, a live Tim Conway Jr. broadcast, and tons of magic. Magic. From some of the most well-known magicians in the country. Huge deal. We are going to have that whole castle, the uh, mansion. We're going to have that whole place to ourselves. Just us. Single tickets are available for $350. Couples for $640. And then... Even bigger group ticket discounts are available. This event is entirely limited, extremely entirely limited, and it's going to sell out. It benefits the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California. For more details, log on to KFIAM640.com and use the keyword Red Cross. Someone else took me to task. In this case, it was Julie. First of all, let me ask, how many people go into Jeopardy and think to themselves, oh my God, I can't wait to see who wins this episode? Well, lately, it has had that kind of feeling while James Holzhauer has been setting the world on fire in the Jeopardy arena. Okay. Did she, this did she even DVR like, it and she hasn't watched oh, it Oh, I have no idea. She just called me out for suggesting that I knew how it was going to end yesterday. The end of the show, you said something along the lines of, are you going to watch Jeopardy tonight? And you said, I don't know. I said, you said, are you? And I said, I don't know. I know how it ends. Julie's email says, Dear Gary. Uh-oh. It's never good. Yesterday at the end of your show, Shannon asked if you would be watching Jeopardy. Your reply was, no, I know what happened. Dunderhead. Ooh. Yeah. Dunderhead. Yeah. How about that, Victor? Dum Dum was bad. Somebody is sticking Nobody's up for you. you a Dunderhead. Uh-uh. I'm feeling a lot better now. It didn't take much thinking to deduce that James did not win. You get the Arsehole of the Day Award, Julie. I like her. Now, listen, but again, I that was at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, right? Yeah. I mean, roughly, within a few minutes. The New York it, Times had printed it in that morning. When I got out of bed yesterday, about 6.45. No one needs to hear that. Underpants a dangling. Classic I got, target. I got an alert that suggested 
that the New York Times knew who was going to win that episode of Jeopardy that night. Now, hold on. Their alert said, James Holzhauser had been so-and-so champion. Guess what happens tonight? (laughs) Click here if you want to know more. It didn't well, take much to deduce. That. Yeah, but dunderheads. Why, but why did you have to ruin that for everybody else that hadn't gotten that alert? If you, if second down and nine. All right. <laughs> We're gonna get so in trouble for doing that, and I don't even care. Um, the headlines have been so funny. <laughs> that was about awesome, this. Blake. More than 400 small earthquakes have rattled Southern California. Most most of these hitting the Inland Empire from eastern LA out to the Mojave Desert. Right. The the two largest were. It says that they were Sunday afternoon. They were actually Sunday morning, I believe. But um, uh, 3.4, 3.2 magnitude. Another earthquake super low Uh, some of them are felt because they're super shallow lucy jones a seismologist up there at caltech reminds me of my grandfather my grandfather always made me feel safe and stable and uh you know he just had that air about him where just everything was gonna be okay calm calm yes yes exactly lucy jones is like that Mm -hmm. because whenever we have this swarm of earthquakes or any earthquake information whatsoever she just has a way with words of setting everybody at ease. Yes. And she said, don't worry and stop calling me. No, uh, she said this is just a place where the earth sputters along instead of letting go all at once. That's I could hear my grandpa saying that exact thing. I know. Right. Me too. You're absolutely right. What I love is that they talk about this quake swarm of 400 earthquakes. What does it mean? Question mark. And then two paragraphs in, Lucy Jones says... It really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> How many times a year do we do earthquake swarm stories and go, uh, what does it mean? Does it mean the big one is coming? And Lucy Jones comes in and puts the fire out. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. All right. We are your pot show of record. So we'll tell you what's going on with pot in Pomona. Don't say when that because back. when you say that, people are going to tell us that you guys don't know anything about pot, man. <laughs> And then, then I know that you can, I know that you can get it delivered to your workplace within 90 minutes. Is that what was in the box? What? I don't know any box. What's in the box? All right. Gary and Shannon. Oh yeah, speaking of which, that's a spoiler. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. What? <laughs> never mind. Oh, was that from a movie that you I You never see? saw 7? You saw 7. That was Gwyneth Paltrow's head? Oh my god. Oh man. Hallelujah. That's it. Victor, she can no go longer, home now. Victor's no longer the dum dum. News and Brews is uh, next Friday, June 14th. We're going to be live at HQ Gastro Pub once again in Huntington Beach. This is our first, the first time we've been to a place three times. This is our third time at HQ Gastro Pub there in Huntington Beach at 5th and PCH. I love it there. Uh, right next to that CV. You know where it is, right there on PCH, 5th and PCH. We're going to have a great time. Be out there from uh, 
What time, Victor? From 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. That's when we're going to be out there. So you have 10 days? Yep, 10 days to come up with an illness. It's going to get you out of work on that Friday. Yeah. By the way, just just mention, just allude to... A trip to Fiji? No. Yeah, that's, that's mean. I, I, I'm, I, dump that. Uh, allude, to, allude to undercooked chicken. Just say some, Just say along the lines of... I'm not sure if it was the undercooked chicken, and your boss will go, I got it, I got it, I understand. Take the time, whatever you need. That's a good call right there. So, Because nobody questions an undercooked chicken story. No. And nobody should, frankly. Because I think everybody's had their undercooked chicken story. Just like everybody has a tequila story, everybody has an undercooked chicken story. It makes me sad. Why? I just don't want people that to happen to people. The human body is an amazing thing. Well, there is a group of people who live in Pomona who are worried about this proposed cannabis zoning map. They say that some of the city's poorest people are going to be targeted for pot businesses. There are 12 areas in Pomona where cannabis businesses could operate. Think about that. 12 areas. We were doing a story about Pasadena and how they limit very strong, very strict limits on how many cannabis places will be able, be able to operate. And they said the maximum would be six. And just because of all the regulations and the issues and the no go zones that maybe there's only going to be a couple that open next year. Well, and in, in this case, there are 12 areas where the cannabis businesses could operate there in Pomona. But that just means that the city would OK it. Remember, if you have a. You know, if you have a mortgage or something like that that is run through a federal bank, you're not going to be allowed to be there as a as a cannabis company, whether you're a a retail store or you're a producer. You can't do you can't be there. And a lot of the landlords, even if they're in an area where it's allowed, might not necessarily want to have one of those businesses. Linda Hinojos lives there and is a member of the coalition. And she says we see a lot of inequity. With this map, a lot of exclusion of the voices. She says she'd been following the cannabis discussion and going to a council meeting, but it wasn't until the map was released, this tentative map that shows the 12 areas, that she could visualize how it would affect people that are in that District 3. Yeah, it's her biggest issue is the fact that a lot of that district, a lot of District 3, about a third of it actually, would be zoned or could be zoned for the manufacturing distribution growing of cannabis. And the suggestion is that that's a poorer part of town. That's a part of town where the people who live there and work there and go to school there are not going to have the same political pull to prevent those businesses from opening in that area. She says she's worried that if there's turnover with the current city council, that the number of permits would increase because... As you can imagine, there's a lot of lobbying that goes on and a lot of money probably behind candidates who are going to be kinder to offering up more cannabis permits. Right. You can see how that would play into their uh, stop it. I'm going to eat something. (laughs) You don't have to roll your eyes every time you hear my stomach growl. I hear it, too. She also wants to know. Uh, <laughs> you also got mad at me yesterday for eating a piece of cheese during the show. Also, well, it's because you were literally speaking as you put a <laughs> cheese in your mouth. Uh, Linda also wants to know why there isn't a thousand foot boundary required between the cannabis businesses, which 
the the uh, people in the city of Pomona, these planners have agreed they don't want any business within a thousand feet of a school or a daycare facility or a recreational center. And they're saying that they don't want any other legal cannabis businesses within a thousand feet. But she said it's, it's not at least in writing just yet. They still have to go through an environmental review process, then to the planning commission before it goes to the city council for final approval. So all of this stuff is still up in the air. So the arguments are still being made. They're just saying, let's pump the brakes a little bit and not okay all these permits. They they want people to know what's happening because like Linda was saying, you know, you don't know about this until you you go to the council meetings or whatever. And I think a lot of people in Pomona would be surprised to see that many different permits being issued for their town. I guess I'm, I'm, what what surprises me about this is that marijuana has been legal in Colorado, for example, for a few years now. And while we in California, I mean, there are still headlines to this day about we don't know what's a great test for uh, driving while high. Is there is there a way to gauge someone's highness while they're driving? That's a terrifying thought. It is, but it's also, I mean, you'd think it's an important thing, yeah. but if we look to what, what they've done in Colorado over the last couple of years, not, I mean, outside of the realm of law enforcement and more to the, the permitting, the licensing, the control of the environment, that cities in, in Colorado have been doing this for years. It's almost as if the people in California were now looking at it going, gosh, I never would have thought that this would have happened. What do we do now? Right. And, Get on the horn and, and call the city of Denver or call Pueblo or call Colorado Springs and say, how did you guys do this? What what were the issues that you came up? What were the mistakes that you made right away that we can avoid now? It's like the drone technology that moved more quickly than any idea of how to restrict put restrictions on them. Drones are awesome. Nick, I'm sorry. Nick. I'm going to go. Victor, Good can we get Goodbye. a food item in here or something? I don't know if she's starving herself or what's happening, but her stomach is growling again. I'm on it. Thank you. I appreciate that. When we come back, a quick look at uh, Galaxy's Edge opening day at uh, Star Wars Land was last Friday. And we have an insider's view. And by the way, one of the highest bars to achieve was whether or not this guy was going to be impressed with what happened at Galaxy's Edge. So we'll get his review of the new park at Star Wars when we come back. Uh, new park at Disneyland when we come back. Gary and Shannon. Tuesday, June 4th, this fair update. I told you earlier this morning that at UC Davis, there was an alert of a bear on campus. Yeah, if you know the area, it's kind of odd. It's well, not in a. It's not in a, in an area that backs up against any hills or anything. No, the the arboretum area, which is just south of campus, is known for wildlife, but small wildlife like geese and squirrels and things. This case, they actually found a bear, and within an hour, uh, they found the bear. It was uh, tranquilized, and they took it a place to a, a different area and took him out. Fish and Wildlife was there to take care of it. It's a bizarre place for there to be a bear. Uh, well, we have Disneyland Star Wars Land now opened. And we actually know somebody who yeah. was able to go. You know, a couple people, but I wanted to talk to this guy specifically because of uh, the the fan nature that I know that he has towards uh, an affinity towards the Star Wars world. 
Uh, we've talked about it many, many times, and we'll keep his name off. It's it's not important what his name is. It's just that he's a huge fan, and we'll say that. So um, can we think of a name, perhaps? Frank, can we say Frank. what it rhymes with? No, we'll say Frank. All rhymes right. with Frank. Uh, so, Frank, thanks for joining us. Well, hello, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> are we all are we all doing the fake names or is this sure. oh, yeah who yeah. can what what am i <laughs> janet 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 all right Doug so, and frank uh yes i have gone to galaxy's edge at star wars land at disneyland um and i'll just say that i feel like i have three levels of review okay we start from the top and work our way down i like let's, it let's do it <clears throat> top level is it's the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life as a star wars fan you know i'm 40 something years old right been waiting my whole life for a star wars land and they just killed it i mean they just did it perfectly it is amazing oh that's you good walk to know. in there's a full-size millennium falcon like there's people walking around with lightsabers it's amazing it's absolutely the most amazing thing that we could ever hope for as star wars fans are, uh, to that end, you mentioned the people walking around. The cast members that are there, are are there good costumes? I mean, are there creatures and things, or is it just okay. people? Okay, all right. So the thing you got to know is that it's a lot like – I liken it to, uh, to, to, the, to the Renaissance Fair. Have you ever been to the Renaissance Fair? Sure. The people at the Renaissance Fair are – they are not living in today. They are living in that time, in that place. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And it's – Super annoying. Oh, no, it's very cool. <laughs> very cool thing. And that's exactly what is happening at the Star Wars Land. The people that work there, you're not part of the Disneyland attraction. You are in their part of the world. They have a culture. They have a jargon. They have a way they talk to each other and to you. You don't use cash. You use credits. You know, they have a whole way of talking and, and being. And, again, their costumes, they're not, you know, ride operator costumes. They're like... They're dressed as if they are in the land. So that's a really, you know, it's kind of new for this park. They did it out in Florida with the Avatar Land. Um, it'll be interesting to see how long those cast members hold on to the to the uh, the role. There is something to be point. said about the Renaissance Fair crowd because they don't leave yeah. the Renaissance Fair at the Renaissance Fair. Like if you hang out with right. them when they're not there, they're yeah. still like in it, and that can get a little yeah. much. Yes, yes. So, and then this for me... This is the Renaissance Fair of the thing I love the most. You know what I mean? Like Star Wars, and even I'm just like, all right, guy, can I just pay for my, you know, tchotchke and get out of here? You know, like, <laughs> you kind of have a little bit of a limit for it. So that being said, like, it's an amazing park. You can, de- you know, there's a lot of people talking about it. If you can get through that, you know, right now they're having the reservations for four hours, uh, like, windows that people can go in. And a lot of people are worried that it's not enough time. It's definitely enough time. Is there anybody out there? worrying that you're going to knock out, you know, you're going to want to stay longer than the four-hour window. It's completely enough time to do everything you want to do, see everything you want to see, experience everything. It's pretty, you know, by the time of your four hours, you're good to go and jump on a Thunder Mountain at that point and, and be done with it. It's good. It's a good It's a good pace. Did you, did you max out your four hours? Did they ask you to leave? They didn't ask you to leave. They didn't ask us to leave, but we just kind of ended up hovering and just being like, no, oh, you guys want to go, you know, to New Orleans Square? I'm like, yeah, that's all just it, – it, there was no pressure. There was no stormtroopers, like, shoving us out like we heard there would be, nothing like that, uh, at least right now. I don't know, you know, the, the, the reservation window time ends 
at the end of um, June. So I'll, I'll be curious to see kind of what the crowds look like, look like at that point. But right now, in terms of how much time you have, it's perfect. Uh-huh. It's perfect. Um, the ride itself, at least the only one that's open, uh, what'd you right. think? Smuggler's Run, yeah. It's the big, uh, the big Millennium Falcon ride. Um, you, it's going to take a few times to really sink into one, what it is. You know, it's so new. You have to work with all the people in your, in your, in your group. Sometimes they're people you don't know, and they're not doing the right thing, and there's a lot of arguing. Oh, that sounds terrible. And, yeah, yeah. Why well, have to actually interact with humans? Like you actually have to interact with, well, probably sometimes worse, your family. So that might be even sometimes worse depending on how long how well you get along with your family but um but it's a lot of fun it's very again immersive but then so the level two gripe i have about it so there's there's level one amazing level two i kind of hate it now here's the thing (laughs) the thing about the park is that it takes like the land that they all live in is from star wars of today like the force awakens kind of last jedi uh, world and and so, that's not the one we love the most. That's not my. So there, I'm getting mad not seeing Darth Vader. There's no Luke Skywalker walking around. There's no Han Solo. You can't just you know go and 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 see the things that we as grumpy old 45 year old people want to see, right? So I'm criticizing, you know, first order garbage and resistance stuff and like. These movies aren't necessarily for me, but now's level three review. It's for the young kids. Yeah. And so I hate it on my level, but when I stop and watch like the five year olds that were that are the age that I was when I got into Star Wars, embracing it and loving it and running up to Ray and hugging her, I'm like, This is not for me, but this is for them and it's perfect. It's for the you future. Know what I mean? Yeah. It's for the few. They're in, they made the perfect decision to embrace that generation. And it's really fun to see. And it's really great to see these kids really embracing the characters and the stories from their generation. So well, my grumpy butt can say, I want, you know, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and the force that I know. But I don't matter. You know, there's enough stuff from my generation to look at and see and get. There's like old droids hanging in the you know on the walls that you're like oh I know what that is or I know what that blaster is or you know, know what, what Frank you matter to <laughs> yeah. us there you go <laughs> thank yeah. you for yeah. your review but but the Disney uh, not so much well thank you guys <laughs> oh well we'll talk soon Frank <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm never going to call him anything guys. else that Star Wars man it's amazing it's All amazing right. see it. uh, my friend Frank there who uh, went to uh, Galaxy's Edge on Friday one of the first uh, first people in there one of the first uh, private citizens to make it in alright we'll come back to the Doug and Janet show you probably think that you are better now I even did it while I was walking the dog last night. I'd walk around and realize I'm just, just 
people in your neighborhood are going to think you're a serial killer. Exactly. So, okay, so I realized this um, when we were doing Fred Rogan's show last week. Yes. We're doing the show, and, you know, it's TV, and you want to be smiling, right? Sure. And my face started, like, twitching because I wasn't used to smiling were, for that long. You were holding it the whole time. Because I'm an angry elf. And no. I, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, my face started twitching. And then you start thinking, everybody has got to know this is a fake smile. And then I'm like, I got to stop smiling. It's got I got to stop the twitch. <laughs> Uh, at the bottom of the hour, we will uh, we'll get into Swamp Watch. Mark Remillard's going to join us. We're going to be talking more about the tariffs because we're still trying to figure out, exactly feel out what's going to happen if, in fact, these 5% tariffs go into effect coming up next week. President said today at this uh, news conference with Theresa May, said that they will go into effect, and he is uh, hoping that they don't, but he's pretty certain that they will. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. Also, uh, Tasty Tuesday coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Neil Savedra is going to join us. We're going to have some fun with him as well. Time for What's Happening. When we look at all of the stories that are trending right now, especially around the world, actually, the president's visit to London is really what's what's captured all of the headlines internationally. They rolled out that big... Glamorous, sparkly red carpet for the president, and I think it emboldened him to weigh in on the politics over there. He weighed in on Brexit. He weighed in on former London Mayor Boris Johnson and who he thinks should be the next prime minister. He talked about uh, Theresa May. was actually pretty complimentary towards her. Oh, yeah. He loved her. He even, uh, I guess, in their meeting this morning... Asked her to stay on as prime minister even longer so that they could get a spectacular trade deal done. Come on, you could do it. You could stay here just a little bit long. Friday, by the way, is when she gives up her power as prime minister and the government comes up with a uh, a new prime minister. He got into um, his, or I should say continued his back and forth with Sadiq Khan, the uh, the mayor of London. Well, I think he's been a uh, not very good mayor from what I understand. He also went after Jeremy Corbyn, who was the leader of the opposition party, who was out leading one of the protests against Donald Trump in London. I don't know Jeremy Corbyn. Never met him. Never spoke to him. He wanted to meet today or tomorrow, and I I decided that I would not do that. We'll talk more about that coming up at Swamp Watch. Tiananmen Square was 30 years ago today, and China remains terrified of any pro-democracy sentiment that remains. Still terrified of of the amount of people that had that sentiment 30 years ago. And so they have been very active censoring what would be remembrances to commemorate the 30th anniversary. Yeah, this year they said about 180,000 people joined this gathering the only place in china that those who want to memorialize the tragedy uh could could do so they're suggesting now that this is the last time the government will allow this to happen think about that The, the government if our government came in and tried to prevent a memorial from happening The uprising began in April 1989 when about a million pro-democracy advocates gathered there in Tiananmen Square in the heart of the city, Beijing. And for six weeks, they protested and they pushed the communist regime to open up the the, the political system in there, move away from all the authoritarian leadership. But that did not happen. What happened was Chinese troops entered the square in the morning of June 4th and throughout the day just opened fire on protesters. 
there's never been an official death toll, but they say it could be anywhere between a few hundred to about 10,000. There are a couple of iconic pictures that came out of the 20th century images, and that has got to be one of them for me. Yes. Is that single guy standing in front of those four tanks in Tiananmen Square. Yeah. The tank guy, as they call him. Yeah. Uh, We're still wondering what killed that couple in Fiji. Um, Man and wife from from Texas. They go to Fiji. They get uh, the vomiting, the diarrhea. They go to a clinic. They get treated with IVs, and then they die. Yeah, just within days, uh, and died within days of each other as well. The uh, family now has been in contact with the U.S. Embassy in Fiji and said that the autopsies have been completed, but that they have yet to be, the family has yet to be informed on the results. Um, The remains, their bodies, are not allowed to come back to the United States, or they're not allowed to leave Fiji based on international health uh, agreements. Until they can figure out what killed them, because if, in fact, they're infected with something that we don't know about, they're going to uh, they're going to cremate the bodies before they'll bring them back to the United States. If you haven't seen the woman, the Norwegian woman who uh, runs like a horse, you've got to see it. It's up on our website. If you want to go check it out at KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. It's odd. Um, and what's funny is they say that she appears to be running around like a horse, which she, I guess because she's on all fours, yes, but it's just, it looks a whole lot more like a monkey than it does a horse. It's magical. And the music that they've put on it is oddly would you, transfixing. I don't know if I would even say magical. It's um, it's bothersome to a, to a certain degree. I I enjoy it. I know you do, but it's but it but it worries me that you would find enjoyment. It's just it's just her like walking through the countryside. She's like galloping on, on her on all fours. And what's amazing is it takes a an amount of coordination to gallop and to trot as oh, a yeah. human, and she does it. And then sort of the the kicker on all of it is that she jumps up and over a picnic table. And she, she clears lands, it. She lands like a horse. She front hand first. Front hand first, yeah. Because like all of us would do it, we would just naturally land on our feet and then go back into it. But she just lands when gracefully. She, when she started to do the jump, I thought she was going to she was gonna tuck and roll on the other side of it. But it's not parkour, could, bro. Well, I know, but that's what horse. somebody, <laughs> that's what a parkour would do, right? I, I I tried to attempt this in, in the office, but Vic, oh my god, why didn't anybody get that on video? Victor waved me off. He oh. doesn't say no to much. Really, he's never said no to anything, but refused to allow me to gallop like a horse down the hallway. Victor, why? Hmm. I don't think anybody needs to see that. I needed to see that. The show is about to start. We just needed to, you know, get in the studio because it starts at ten, guys. It does. Yeah. Well, who told ten, you that? Ten to two. Oh, Monday what? through Friday. Um, by the way, Game Three of the NBA <laughs> Finals is not tonight; it's tomorrow night. Anyway, uh, Clay Thompson questionable. MRI confirmed a mild hamstring strain. Coming up next, don't touch stuff in the museums. Okay. Yeah. Let's get it together. Gary and Janet will continue. Like Doug and Janet show will continue in just a moment.
Gary and Shannon. Mitch McConnell is talking about the possibility of Republicans overriding the president's plan for Mexican tariffs. We'll tell you all about it coming up in Swamp Watch. Well, have you ever been to Vermilion, Alberta, Canada? No. Gosh, it sounds delightful, though. There is a museum there. Oh, I can't wait to go. And Stephen Mills was with his family. They decided to go into the museum. And they saw a safe there. And he thought, hmm, I'm going to take a crack at this. Now, the safe... They have no idea how old it is specifically, but the safe was in the Brunswick Hotel, which closed down in the 1970s. And the safe was donated, closed, to the museum. It had to be lowered into a specially reinforced floor in the basement with a picker crane because it was just gigantic. The manager for the Brunswick Hotel could not remember the combination or if anything of value is locked inside. Now, people that would go to this museum in Vermilion would tinker with this safe dial over the years all the time. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could undo this safe? Because there's probably a little sign next to the safe that says this hasn't been opened in, in 45 years or yeah, whatever. Like what could sword, be inside? like the sword and the stone at Disneyland. Exactly. Uh, well, when uh, Stephen walks in, his, uh, his tour guide, what was the guy's name? Tom Kibblewhite. Of course it, it is. Sounds like a tour guide from our museum. Tom in, Kibblewhite. In Canada. He sits down there, Stephen does, he sits down in front of the safe there and he starts uh, just messing with that dial. He leans his ear close into the lock there and he begins uh, cranking that lock. And he, he turns it three times to the right to the 20, then three times it left to the 40, and then one time to the right to the 60, and then click. Door creaks open and he says, I'm sorry. I'm so Sorry. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to answer the mystery, the great mystery of Vermilion, uh, Alberta. So, what's in the safe? Well, no valuable treasure, unfortunately. Canadian doubloons. No, there was some milk in a bag, actually, and uh. some old butter tarts, <laughs> <laughs> and a half-eaten jar of poutine. <laughs> no. no, they said no valuable treasure inside the safe at all. No, there were just a few documents from the hotel's final days. There was a dusty pad full of restaurant orders, a forgotten pay slip from 1977. It listed four and a half hours at time and a half, seven hours of straight time, and $42 deducted for meals. Came to a payout of just $9 and some cents, which leads me to this question. Mm-hmm. 1977, Canada. What are, you, what are you eating for $42? That's a lot of food, right? I would, I would imagine that that's... Well, four and a half hours at time and a half, seven hours of straight time. So that's only 11 and a half hours of working time. And you're going to eat $42? $42. It's like two shifts worth. Well, I've never understood I mean, Canadian money. I know. Yeah. Might be time. Well, that's true. It is different. It's not that different. Might be time for it's not like they count it different. Still 100s. All right. Mm-hmm. Coming up, Swamp Watch. Love it. And a new attitude. With a smile all around. <laughs> Mr. We are the worst. 
Gary and Shannon. Join us, the entire KFI cast, for a magical evening at a secret undisclosed mansion in the Hollywood Hills, famous for magic. It's going to be a huge deal. Your charitable donation will mean gourmet dinner, cocktails, free valet parking, a live Tim Conway Jr. broadcast, tons of magic from some of the most well-known magicians in the country. Huge deal. In fact, we're going to have the whole magic mansion <laughs> to ourselves, just for us. Single tickets available, 350 bucks. Couples, 640 and group ticket discounts are also available. Now, this is an extremely limited event. Extremely limited. It will sell out, so you're going to want to get your tickets now. Benefits the American Red Cross Initiative to Get Prepared California. For all of the details about this magical evening, log on to KFIAM640.com and use the keyword Red Cross. This is some breaking news here. Uh, the school resource officer that was at the Parkland High School shooting has been charged 11 charges of child neglect, culpable negligence, and perjury. Perjury, huh? Wow, Scott Peterson was his name, unfortunate name, but also uh, he was the one who was accused of not going in to uh, to stop the shooter in that case, uh, staying outside the building while shots were being fired, even though... We've changed our policies, we being the United States, when it comes to uh, shootings like this, where officers are now uh, told to go in and neutralize, not not wait for SWAT team members or backup or anything. So, uh, wow. Eleven charges of child neglect, culpable negligence, and perjury. We'll have more on that coming up next hour. Uh, but we start with Swamp Watch now. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. We told you the president speaking in the UK had said that the tariffs against Mexico, these 5% tariffs are going into effect next week. Mexico, though, says we might have an agreement. Maybe. Mark Remillard is joining us. We've been talking about this for the last couple of days, Mark. What uh, what gives uh, people optimism that we may have a deal tomorrow? Well, uh, there have been negotiations ongoing in Washington, uh, high-level negotiations. We know Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has been involved, uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, and then tomorrow Secretary Pompeo is going to be involved with uh, you know equal counterparts from Mexico as they try to work out a, a deal. But an indication that a deal is imminent, uh, you know, I'm not really sure that's that's really the case. Mexico has presented a very optimistic message, and they've called for cool head negotiations into this, and they they say they're they're hopeful that they can work out a deal, avoid tariffs, uh, you know, that they don't want this confrontation, let alone a trade war. President Trump, though, has kind of sounded the opposite way. He's been very much like, you know, I think they'll happen. He's been very curt about. Uh, just saying that he really thinks that, uh, you know, Mexico needs to do more on the immigration issue and that, uh, you know, they're under a tight deadline. So who's, it's anybody's guess at this point whether or not there's actually going to be a deal to avoid this. Uh, meanwhile, members of Trump's own party, the GOP and Democrats, have both said they really do hope that they don't see these tariffs go into effect, that they can work out a deal. So I think you have a situation where both sides want to work out a deal to avoid this because they know the effect that this could have economically, uh, but President Trump is sitting there saying, unless I see what I want to see, uh, I'm going to put him on. Is there any more clarity about what the president, how we can quantify uh, whatever Mexico does to limit illegal immigration? 
Not really, and that's the amazing thing is we really don't have a, an indication as to what exactly Mexico can do to satisfy President Trump, who is out of the country right now. Uh, he's not even here to be able to potentially take part. And, uh, I, you know, he may be able to speak, obviously, with his representatives, but in terms of really laying down what he wants to see, we, we really don't know what that is. And, and Mexico, in statements, essentially, has been you know, trying to tout some of their own work. Uh, from Mexico City Today, their uh, their foreign minister, I believe it was, had essentially put out a statement saying, you know, that, that we have uh, since December, uh, let me look up the numbers, for instance, December 2018, they have said that the government of Mexico has sent back about 80,000 uh, migrants from Central America, and they claim that without their efforts, the United States would have received half a million more immigrants over the border. And so they're trying to certainly tout the effort that they have done, um, perhaps as a starting point for what maybe more they could do to therefore, you know, maybe tamp down expectations from President Trump. Because if President Trump's expectations is zero people crossing the border, well, that's a pretty tall feat that people have been trying to figure out, uh, you know, uh, for a long time how to what's the best way to solve the illegal immigration problem. And so that's something that, you know, uh, if it's zero, that's a pretty uh, uh, incredibly difficult goal to achieve. So perhaps Mexico can say, look, here's what we've been doing already. What 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 more can we do realistically uh, to, to make you uh, satisfied and therefore avoid these tariffs? You mentioned these uh, the meeting that's going on, the senior Mexican delegation that started talks yesterday. They continue to uh, they'll continue today and tomorrow. Um Who's involved on on our end of that? Are is it just a bunch of no named bureaucrats, or are there cabinet level uh, officials that are involved in those? Yeah, cabinet level. Um, yesterday, we understand that uh, there was a meeting with uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Uh, today, uh, Mexico's trade negotiator has been meeting with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, who is also the one who's been leading all of all of most of the negotiations between the U.S. and China. Uh, and then uh, tomorrow, we understand that they're supposed to meet as well with uh, this delegation is supposed to meet with Secretary Mike Pompeo, who, uh, Secretary of State. Um, and, and you may not expect that in a trade negotiation, but when since this is directly involved with the immigration issue, that uh, appears to be probably why he would be there and involved in that and, and, uh, and a key figure in this. Mark Remillard, great stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. When we come back, a couple more stories out of Washington, D.C. The uh, the White House suggesting that uh, a couple of uh, aides not comply with congressional subpoenas. Joe Biden's climate plan and why Nancy Pelosi may be winning this impeachment fight. We'll explain coming up. Gary and Shannon and the breaking news is that the school resource officer, Scott Peterson, that was on site for that entire shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in February of last year, um, did not enter the building to confront the shooter. He has been charged 11 charges today for his actions. We'll get more details coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. Hey, did you hear this Tom Brady story? Tom Brady, New England Patriots Tom Brady? No, the other Tom Brady. The guy that works down the hall? There's a Tom Brady. I don't know. Oh. Okay, so Tom Brady's management company filed two trademark applications for Tom Terrific. 
And people are losing their minds because, obviously, of Tom Seaver. And it's exploding. They wanted it for uh, trading cards, posters, printed photographs, T-shirts, other shirts. And, of course, the New York Mets Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver was always known as Tom Terrific. Right. And it was just March when his family announced that he had dementia. And so then Tom Brady comes out like the next month and files trademark applications. Ooh. They're calling it a vulture move. Uh, I don't know about a vulture move. Just at the very least, tone deaf. Man. Yeah. That's. Wow. Yeah. You want to put that on hold. Tom needs to get on the phone to his PR people and just say, hey, we're going to. Or just never. Like, that's the best you came up with. <laughs> it's like somebody <laughs> else's point. nickname. Uh, we're in the middle of Swamp Watch to talk about what's going on in uh, Washington, D.C. The White House has now instructed Hope Hicks, former aide to the president and the ex-counsel's chief of staff, Don McGahn's chief of staff, not to cooperate with a congressional subpoena for documents that are related to their White House surface. service. That is, um, Jerry Nadler has come out and said that they were told not to cooperate as part of the continued obstruction of Congress, writes Jerry. The White House has instructed both Hope Hicks and Andy Donaldson not to turn over records in response to subpoenas issued by our committee. This is all about the investigation into potential abuses of power, public corruption, and obstruction. Now, the thing now, Hope Hicks has been a longtime advisor to Donald Trump. So there are some of the things that she has turned over that related to their, her time before they got into the White House. But what I think is probably more pertinent to the issue at hand is going to be Annie Donaldson's testimony, if anything, because she took notes directly from Don McGahn as he would leave discussions with the president, documenting how he railed against, he tried to to control a criminal investigation. Um, She also was involved, or at least in the room, when supposedly Donald Trump announced that he was going to he announced to the staff at least that he was going to fire James Comey and also when he ordered Don McGahn to try to intervene and have uh Robert Mueller removed for his conflicts of interest as well she was apparently a what would you say anal retentive note taker mm. and boy Jerry Nadler would love to get his hands on that Nancy Pelosi. I mean the no. <laughs> I know. I, 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 okay. I get it. I get it. What are you, seven? No, I, it was just the wording. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. Nancy Pelosi seems to be winning the impeachment fight. Um, it looks like as of Monday night, 59 Democrats in the House have either called for Trump to be impeached or for an impeachment inquiry to be launched. Now, that is a far cry from the 235 total Democrats there. But there was a flip-flop. House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, third-ranking Democrat in the House, seemed to suggest to Jake Tapper on CNN that impeachment was inevitable. He told Tapper, that's exactly what I feel. I think we've already begun it, adding that Trump would be impeached at some point. So then Nancy Pelosi circles the wagons, calls a private meeting of her leadership team last night, And Clyburn immediately flip-flops and changes his tune. Yeah, he said after the meeting, I'm probably farther away from impeachment than anybody in our caucus. Wait, what? How did that happen? He says, we cannot get out in front of our committees. We'll see what the committees come up with. I've said that forever. That's not true. No, that's baloney. Well, so does Nancy Pelosi go into that meeting with leadership on Monday night and say to them, listen, 
This is exactly what he wants us to do. He wants us to get this impeachment ball rolling because that is a winning campaign argument. I Look at th- them trying to obstruct me. Look at them trying to hold up my president. I'm trying to get stuff done, and Congress is not allowing me to do it. Well, I would have thought that that would have been the first conversation they had in the meeting of the Democratic leadership, that you're going to help him in 2020 if you move to impeach. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's what he wants the whole bit. That would have been my opening conversation. So what changes in their thinking or, or what leads them to toe the other line? Is it that they get more publicity that way? Jim Clyburn gets his name out there that, that way. It lets other Democrats know that they're thinking of change. I mean, I don't know. Well, if you figure everyone in Congress is going to have to be um, is going to have to go before voters in a couple of months or a year, depending on which kind of race you're in, how competitive it is, you're going to be you're going to have to be able to come to them with something to vote for you on. And in the state like California or New York, I mean, where you see a, a heavy Democratic leaning electorate. They're going to want to know that you put up the fight against you went hard against 45. They're right. going to want you to be the Javier Becerra, the Jussie Smollett, showing how much you hate this guy. Not how effective you are in legislation, not any bills that you've passed, not that you've improved the quality of life in the greater United States of America. But they but you have to prove to your Democratic electorate that you hate that guy a lot and. I think a lot of those people who are calling for impeachment are the ones who feel most worried about the safety of their seat coming back in a couple of years. Joe Biden is trying to appeal to the progressives. He has unveiled a $1.7 trillion climate plan. Who else came up with a climate plan? Was it... uh, Jay Inslee. Jay Inslee. That's what he's running on specifically. How how much was his climate plan? Will you look that up? I think it was $5 trillion. $5 trillion. Okay. Now that we all have our monopoly money out, uh, $1.7 trillion, they say that this is going to be paid for, and and, and the people who have been anti-Biden should like this. It's going to be paid for by rolling back Republican corporate tax cuts. So they're going after the big guys, they're going after the Republicans and the corporations and all of the the, uh, monsters that the millennials believe are monsters, you know, the people that make money. And um, <laughs> people that and it's money. addressing climate change, which is their other big issue. Um, I don't know if that's the way to win this. Uh, climate change, I think, is going to be an important issue coming up. But I don't know if that's the thing. That's, that's what the they care about. That you that's what the, the, the super progressive millennials care about. Remember, they, they think they're, they're not saving for retirement because they don't believe there's going to be a planet here by the time they retire in 40 years. Oh, that's right. Like You're they, right, I remember that. yeah, I mean, they're, they, they feel it's called eco-anxiety over climate change and what's happening to the planet. Like they're physically having effects to it. Nine trillion dollars is the cost of that. Insley of Insley, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's Okay. Um, speaking of Jay Inslee, by the way, That's feasible. I don't know if this is going to be a boost to, to his run for the presidency or sorry, run for the nomination. At least there was a new report that came out that said Washington state has the best economy in the United States of America right now. Hmm. 
Hmm. It was uh, published by Wallet Hub. Looked at 28 indicators across three dimensions: economic activity, health, innovation potential. They have no uh, income tax up there. They have no. Isn't that right? Income tax, right? But they do have a sales tax. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then Oregon is the other way around. They don't have a sales tax, but they do have an income tax. I think it's like that. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get an update on uh, what's going on. What are we going to do? We are going to talk to Jason Nathanson. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, all about the new Netflix, um, the Netflix special about the Central Park jogger and the Central Park Five. It's called When They See Us. Um, also, an update on that story out of Florida, that school resource officer that has now been charged after the Parkland shooting. We'll do that. And Tasty Tuesday right around the corner right here on Gary and Shannon. I like that you Gary and Shannon, coming up in 10 days, Friday, June 14th, we've got a news and brews. We're going to be out at HQ Gaster Pub in Huntington Beach, right there off of 5th and PCH. It's going to be a great time. Join us 10 to 2, news and brews at HQ Gaster Pub. At the bottom of the hour, Neil Savage is going to join us, our fork reporter. We're going to do our Tasty Tuesday. In a few minutes, we'll tell you more about the details of the security guard at Parkland High School. Last year's shooting, he drew a lot of controversy because he stood outside the building and did not enter while gunshots were going off on the inside and people were being killed. He's now been charged. He's been charged with child neglect, among other things. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Netflix shining a light on uh, a lot of incidents in the past that people today may not be familiar with. The latest documentary comes from... The Central Park jogger case. This was back in 1990. There were five teenage boys of color who were wrongfully convicted of brutally raping a jogger in New York in 1990. They became known as the Central Park Five. It turns out there was a convicted serial rapist that confessed to the rape in 2002. Their convictions were overturned. The city settled with them. And now this documentary is highlighting the whole story and it is lighting a flame under a lot more anger uh yeah and one of the characters in this uh played by felicity huffman is the prosecutor who went through this whole thing and jason nathanson um for uh abc news and for kfi just over the hill in the fancy part of hollywood is calling us to talk about this jay uh this the first of all the uh, Vanity Fair described When They See Us, that's the name of this four-part series, they described it as grimly compelling viewing. I was going to start watching this on Sunday night, knowing the knowing the basics of the story, but knew that it was going to take an emotional toll, yeah. and I had to put it off a day. Like I, I, We put yeah. it off and said, you know what, we'll get, we, we have time to, to talk about it after the first episode, we'll do that. So my wife and I watched the first one last night, and it makes you mad. That's the thing. It's Absolutely. Just... I mean, and that's that's one of the chief uh, uh, emotions that I did not expect was the anger that I felt after watching this because of how it portrays what happened to these kids, and they were kids at the time, and the travesty of justice and the how the uh, they were neglected and 
done wrong by the justice system and the people who put them there, chiefly among them, according to this uh, series, Linda Fairstein, who was the prosecutor at the time, uh, who really made this case against them. That is, if this series, and it, you know, it is a dramatized series, is to be believed. We've seen this over and over again, where it's fantastic television. It moves you. It's, it's, uh, it's really compelling. It makes you angry. It makes you sad. It makes you mad. Um, but you have to remember that this is a television show, and they're not telling you everything that happened. They're trying to elicit a certain emotion out of you. So it is, you know, it's not journalism. It's, it's a very biased accounting of w- what happened. Not to say that it's wrong, not to say that they're lying, but they are trying to push you in a certain direction. Yeah, they make Linda Fairstein, uh, Fairstein clearly the villain in this, which is yeah. it, which is interesting. We'll talk about Felicity Huffman's off-screen issues in a second, but they made her so unlikable, especially in that first episode, that I, I can't imagine there's anything that she does in the next three episodes that bring her back to some sort of uh, uh, retribution. But if she was an angel, they wouldn't portray her that way. You know, every journalism documentary I've seen done on this, I come away with the same feeling. Of course, this plays more to your heartstrings because you're seeing, you know, they're... They are um, putting words in the boys' mouths and things like that. They're dramatizing. They're dramatizing it, yeah. it right? But she's no uh, upstanding individual, at least when this case was playing out. And you need you need a villain in something like this. You need somebody to rail against. You need somebody to uh, to really kind of you know be the the ringleader of this. And she comes off as that. Uh, you know, her and and the police. I guess the the two main villi- villains in this. The the cops who are questioning these kids. Uh, and, you know, uh, apparently coercing some kind of confession out of them. They come off really, really bad. Now, after watching this and being completely moved by this and being very upset and, you know, angry and crying and having all the emotions that, that go along with watching this whole thing, and by the, by the end of episode four, I mean, the fourth episode is just get the tissues. If you haven't seen it, you know, it, it is absolutely brutal. But, you know, the first three are pretty tough but the fourth episode in particular. This is going to win a bunch of Emmys. This is going to be nominated for a lot of different things. And in this climate that we're in right now, Ava DuVernay, who directed it uh, and, and co-wrote it as well, uh, this plays into a lot of narratives of, of what's going on right now, especially when it comes to minorities being uh, you know, persecuted at the hands of the criminal justice system. Uh, this this plays a lot into that. So did they hype up the stuff when it came to whether or not Linda Fairstein was a real villain uh, or just somebody trying to do her job? They do try to portray her a little bit as somebody who's on the side of women in this, who is on the side of trying to make the city safer from scumbags who are going around raping because there were there was a series of rapes that summer in New York. She's trying to be on the side of that, but at what expense? Now, Linda Fairstein made a uh, career for herself after this as a writer. Right. She did several mystery books that were pretty successful, and now people are calling on a boycott of all of her books. Yeah, and I didn't know this. And There was a, a pretty recently, I don't know if it was a rerun or not, but there was a CBS Sunday Morning piece on her where they talk about her writing career and things like that. And I, I didn't know that up until I saw that piece. Now if you go to Amazon, though, the reviews read quite a bit different since this <laughs> whole bet. series has come out, uh, and, and she's painted as the bad guy in this. So one one-star review on Amazon says, and they're talking about the book, and the, whatever book has you know, no relation to whatever the, the, the actual case is, 
that we're talking about here with the Central Park Five. But the review on the book says, not a great read or listen. It's all about this old hag who falsely accuses five young men for crimes they didn't commit by using unruly police and interrogation tactics. And they go on like that. So people are really trying to get on the reviews and, you know, take away this woman's livelihood because they see her as this great villain now, rightly or wrongly. That's how they see I mean, she's not a complete monster. Um, She's done a lot of good in her life, but clearly this was just not a shining chapter. She has, and she still uh, maintains that the confessions were not coerced. In fact, in uh, recently, uh, last July, she wrote a letter to the New York Law Journal, and she wrote that the confessions were not coerced. The questioning was very respectful, dignified, carried out to the letter of the law with sensitivity to the young age of the men, which, if you watch the series on Netflix, I mean, it's completely it's a complete contrast to what she says right there. Yeah, because so, it, of those five of those five kids, um, I think only one of them was questioned with a parent in the room for any really any real length of time. Right, and one of them, one of them was sixteen, which at the age at the time was considered an adult, so didn't need that kind of questioning. And the others were, I think, as young as thirteen, maybe fourteen, but fourteen and fifteen. And uh, they were, you know, according to the miniseries, if you if you watch that, they were held in this room for you know up to up to two days with no food. But basically, some of them were hit. They were told you can go home. You just have to confess. Just just tell us what happened. And they all started blaming one another. And these kids who were, you know, seen as some kind of uh, these, these five kids who were part of a larger mob uh, who were running and uh, creating havoc and terror in the park that night, these kids who didn't know each other until they were put in a room and interrogated with each other, and then they all had to turn on each other. Hey, side note on this. Uh, was this Felicity Huffman's last uh, gig before she got popped in the Varsity Blues scandal? I feel like there was one other something, there's a movie or something else coming out. But this could not play more into her uh, and this character as a villain. Because when you see her, and it's the first time we've seen her on screen since everything happened, this is her first role since that all happened. And when she comes on screen, you're already predisposed not to really like Felicity Huffman right. so much. Right. So she comes on there, and you have no problem disliking this woman straight from the from the start. Jason Nathanson, great stuff as always. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, this is going to be rough to get through these next couple of uh, episodes. Like I said, the, it's only four episodes. They're each just about an hour long. They're incredibly well done. At least the first one was incredibly well done. And I mean um, movie quality production in in the performances from the actors, some of the faces you recognize, some of them you don't. Just it's spectacularly done. But to that point, like you said, there's it is a dramatization of this thing. So as much as Linda Fairstein is is painted as the villain, the one problem I had was that every cop that was depicted was a bad guy. Every single one of them. There's there's you know one young black cop who's kind of you could tell he's he's reluctant to to jump in on this because he could tell that they're they're making up the stories and they, they show Linda Fairstein basically concocting her own timeline so that it fits with the events that they know they have the evidence for. And there's one detective who says, I don't get it. Why are you guys trying to shoehorn these kids into this? They clearly couldn't have done it because the timeline doesn't match up. But out of those two, the entire rest of the NYPD uh, NYPD that's depicted is involved in this cover up, involved in making up this case, which I can't imagine was the was I know clearly a lot of them were. 
But it can't be that every cop was involved. No. So. All right. Coming up next, we will dig into the charges charges today that were levied on that Florida deputy who failed to confront the shooter at Parkland at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida there. Gary and Shanna will continue in just a moment. Now I'm gone, now I'm gone, now I'm gone. Gary and Shannon. The Dow gained 510 points after the Fed signaled it could cut interest rates if that trade conflict slows the economy. Best well, that's, seem to that's some of the best good news, bad news I think we've heard in a while. Weird. Well, last February, a year ago February, we were on the air, of course, and we started getting word about the shooting at uh, Parkland High School uh, in Florida. And we spent all day and several days after that talking about what happened in that school. 17 people were killed, 17 others wounded in the attack. Uh, a 20-year-old guy has said that he would plead guilty in exchange for uh, avoiding the death penalty. And prosecutors said, well, you can you can suck on it because you're not going to do it. We're going to go to trial. And in fact, beginning of next year is when they'll go to trial for the shooting. But the bigger story, I think, is a former Florida deputy who was, at the time, the school resource officer at Parkland High School, has been arrested and charged with 11 criminal charges related to, well, they said related to his action, but almost related to his inaction that day. They could carry a combined prison sentence of nearly 100 years. Scott Peterson, we told you about, he was on the campus for the entirety of the shooting. You could see him in the surveillance video that he stayed outside the building uh, while the shots were fired, did not engage the shooter. These charges come at the end of a uh, 14-month investigation by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, figuring out not just his response, but all of the law enforcement response to the shooting. The thing was that because he was the officer who was on the campus He had a responsibility and a duty to sort of coordinate the original first few officers that showed up. Eight days after the attack, he was suspended without pay by the sheriff, and then he immediately retired. At the time, Sheriff Israel said Scott Peterson was absolutely on campus for this entire event and that he should have gone in, addressed the killer, and killed the killer. A statement released by Scott Peterson's lawyer at the time said he believed the shooting was happening outside the building, which he said he told the first Coral Springs police officer who arrived on scene. Um, However, there were radio dispatches transcribed by the Miami Herald that shows that he knew where the shots were were fired. Possible shots fired, 1,200 building. Yeah, and that he was directing the fellow officers to stay away from that building. Yeah, stay at least 500 away, 500 feet away at this point. Now, there was a captain named Jan Jordan that was kind of orchestrating all of this, and she had ordered deputies to form a perimeter instead of immediately confronting the shooter, which is what the new rules are. You go in and you engage right away. The uh, the draft that came out, the draft of this report that came out back in December said that the that when a sergeant, Brian Miller, the first supervisor who was arrived, uh, who arrived at the scene, 
took time to take his bulletproof vest uh, out of the trunk, apparently, and put it on, and then hid behind his car rather than rushing into the building. That Sergeant Brian Miller has also been fired as a result of the internal investigation done by the Sheriff's Department. This is, this is I have, I never saw, uh, thought that this would be a day that we see when an officer that's in that situation is charged with seven counts of child neglect, three counts of culpable negligence, and one count of perjury in connection with that lack of response that day. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, I'm not because, saying it's a bad well, thing. I'm just I saying mean, I didn't think I've ever I would ever wrap my head around something. Because like here's that. the thing, too. You can believe you want to be a police officer. You can believe that you have it in you to storm into the building and and, and protect people and put your life absolutely on the line. But I think there is a little bit of a degree of um, you don't know until you're in the situation. Yeah. And I don't think that that's true for. 95% of officers. I hope But not. I bet it's true for a, uh, some here and there that when it it comes down to it... it's You have to override your wiring. You do. You, you have to override your... It's your the oath you take. Self-preservation wiring. Right. But that's why they train as long and as hard and as often as they do. Yeah. All right. That's, a, that's definitely a story I think we'll cover over the next couple of days. When we come back... Lighten it up a little bit. Uh, Tasty Tuesday. Neil Savedra is going to join us. We're going to be talking about some burgers. He's got a. I think he's got a challenge for us. A challenge. Challenge. I love a challenge. Love a good challenge. Mm. Gary and Shannon will continue. away from 5% tariffs on goods coming in from Mexico. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he hopes that the tariffs are avoided. He says Republicans are not fans of tariffs. He's hoping that the talks that have been going on uh, today, yesterday, tomorrow as well with the Mexican delegation in D.C. will be fruitful and hoping that we can avoid the tariffs. God, I love fruitful talks. Fruitful tariff talk. Um, Also, Virginia's governor... In the wake of the shooting at Virginia Beach, Virginia's Governor Ralph Northam is summoning state lawmakers back to the Capitol for a special session on gun control. And he said it's time for votes and laws, not thoughts and prayers. Every lawmaker should go on the record voting for or against his proposals, he says, rather than let leaders avoid the tough votes by killing them in committee. So uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next few days in Virginia. Hey, Victor. Yes, Shannon. Why didn't the coconut... Hold on a second. He's already laughing. (laughs) That doesn't count. (laughs) Can we get a straight man in there, please? Try it again. Why didn't... No, no, start from the beginning. Hey, Victor. Yes, Shannon. Why didn't the coconuts go to the ballet? Why, Shannon? They were afraid of the nutcracker. (laughs) You should see my hotel. It's like the one nut that's not susceptible to a nutcracker. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. One hell of a nutcracker, yeah. (laughs) You guys have never seen a coconut cracker? You said, you specifically said nutcracker. Did you have a a guy give you a coconut in Costa Rica? (laughs) What? How they they take like a spike and they drive it through. No. And then they put a straw in it. 
Uh, no. It's a no uh, coconut breaker. Uh, no. Again, no. Cracker. Also a railroad coconut spike that cracker. they just stolen. <laughs> right. But they're a coconut. <clears throat> where the tracks are loose. Hey, Neil Savedra, host of the Fork Report, has joined us. Howdy. Hi, everybody. I have a question. Yes. My husband said you looked good on Sunday, and I was like, whoa, easy. Um, I, I got to be honest. Uh, I felt I like good. spending time with your husband. <laughs> All right. Because I like the guy. I find him to be very funny, and he's got a dry, oh. dry wit. And just imagine, just think how patient that man is. And when you, and let me tell you something about spouses of people in radio. Bless their hearts. Yeah, exactly. You just meet them and you go, that makes sense. That makes it just makes sense. Like all, all of our spouses mm. are like our patient people. Are be- they are hold our people. weight plus. Yeah, like yeah. they cover. They're not like fifty fifty or something. They're like covering. All the sanity. They are good people. Yeah, good, that good people. That's a really good way so to put it. So it's really fun to see all the spouses because I don't get to see all the spouses all the time. <laughs> Covering all the sanity. Uh, I know we're going to talk about burgers. Before we get into actual burger burgers, I wanted to talk to you about plant-based, bur- plant-based burgers. Yes, sir. Because I know we, it's a topic that we've talked about a, mo- oh, yeah. a bunch of times. Um, what does if, – if Nestle, for example, is talking about launching a plant-based burger here in the United States in a couple of months, what does the – meat industry look like is it, it are these plant-based burgers going to make enough of a dent that we see changes in the way that meat is processed or just the size of the industry sure. eventually i don't think right now you're talking about one percent of the population is vegan um if you, you start padding that if you go into vegetarianism right um and then you start looking at now you have you know, flexitarians, and that's people that will uh, designate part of their week to some meat and uh, and then the rest of their week to maybe plant-based. So there are changes. I, th- I think, honestly, there's it's a processed food, and like any processed food, probably in five years or so, you'll start getting studies saying, well, this is not great for you or this bad. There's already people that have issues with the GMO um Situation with Impossible Burger, which does have, um, I think, some soy in in the second round. Their original one, I don't think, had it. So these things are always going to – it's one thing right now. It'll come out, and once people start poking at it or once there's real competition is when you're going to see people taking swipes at each other with studies and things like that. However, this is real direction. It's not a fad, and um, the amount of resources it takes – to grow meat, and as far as the meat industry has gotten away from the basics, they've moved towards antibiotics and crap like that. Now they're moving back, but um, I think people want to know where their meat comes from, want to know the ranches, want to know all those things, and that becomes a, a, a very important part of it. And that, So there's a lot of change going on, but we don't just eat the meat of animals. There's a lot of byproducts from animals that we use in other things too that you're not going to get once we you know if we had all veggie patties you know so there's a lot of products that have that you wouldn't even think uh, car tires are an animal product uh, asphalt has animal product in it so a lot of you know gelatin um, there's a lot of these things that you don't think of them being animal byproducts but they are yeah like a plant based football or something well That's- you do have faux leather yeah i know i Pl- love pleather. These, i love these burger myths I like like the origin of sliders, why they're called sliders. 
and oh. not just mini burgers because that's what they are. Because they slide down your throat? Or baby burgers. That's one. Yeah. Or they slide across the... That's the deal. Yeah. White Castle yeah. used White to Castle. slide them down the uh, chute there. It, but the belief is that the name slider did come from White Castle. So yeah. the, the likelihood is that's it's probably the case. And there's there even, strangely enough, when it comes to burgers, there's a lot of different definitions of burgers. And we were talking last week uh, about Gary and, and, and getting him to be a, a burger, you know, kingpin, right? Get him to that place where he makes burgers the way he likes them. And I, that's the first thing I asked him is, what kind of burgers do you like? And he said, I like the pub style, likes a thicker patty, um, likes a little bit of heat on it, these types of things. There's tons of burgers. Um, there's your deli style burger or your um, diner style, rather. There's um, uh, fast food style. There is your pub style. Uh, there's all these different styles of burgers. There's sliders. There's some that define sliders as specifically the White Castle style, meaning um, grilled onions, steamed, uh, partially steamed, uh, and grilled patty. And, you know, so. A chicken slider technically isn't a slider and all these different things. People get very technical. But the reality is we like a lot of different types Anything of burgers. Anything goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, isn't there a different, like, I like an In-N-Out burger uh, a lot, a lot. It's, I don't get to eat them that often. But when I do, it's like, holy hell, hallelujah, every time I bite into it. Never had a bad one. How many bites does it take for you to get through one, one In-N-Out burger? That's so weird. You say plural bites? Well, I'm just... I, <laughs> It's like one. You know what, Gary's two, Gary can get a little three. judgy when it when it comes. To I would, no, no, a burger I, and because three on bites. Sunday after we saw you, we went to Five Guys for a burger, and I it, oh, is that I, where you ended up? That thing did not last. No, my, it did not. Five last. Guys is a big burger too, and then they yeah, and then the uh, the wheelbarrow of fries they bring over at yeah. the small. Yeah. My favorite burger eating story though was from the Oinkster when we did our broadcast <laughs> from there. And, that was our first news and brews ever. And we didn't plan our eating correctly. No. And so we put down a bird. Like, we turned our backs. Because remember, we were, like, up against the glass yeah. in this tiny area. We turn our back. And he and I put down a burger in, I want to say, 37 seconds. Maybe. Something like that, yeah. Like it we, was quick. Like, he says, I eat like I'm an orphan. That day was, like prime Oliver day <laughs> eat like i mean i like killed pr- that prison thing. Eating. Yeah. yeah oh yeah i killed USA. that say yeah. usa but you <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have to eat it before someone else takes it that's true I sometimes you eat food because it's you need n- nutrition sometimes you eat food because mommy wants some breadsticks sometimes Just, you wait too long to eat and then you eat a burger but isn't that and, the best when you're hungry having something like that yeah speaking of burgers we have our next news and brews coming up at hq gastro pub on june 14th that is friday and they serve the classic burger and the turkey burger and the black and blue burger black and blue burger and the smash burger and the breakfast burger and the cattleman and burger and the plus five burger. bacon burger and the Shannon. Big story out of Florida today. The uh, school resource officer who was on campus at Parkland High School when the shooting began has been charged with child neglect, uh, among other things. Perjury was one of the counts as well. And in fact, uh, if convicted on those counts, could face close to 100 years in prison. One of the fathers of one of the victims said that that, uh, that deputy, Scott Peterson, can rot in hell. 
It's one of those stories. Uh, John and Ken will talk more about that during their show coming up. But we've been talking with uh, we've been talking with Neil Savager about burgers. What do you got there? Mm, so I got some gifts for Gary. I told you I'm going to make you the uh, burger. I can't say king because that it's a trademark, like a thing. trademark, yeah. right? Yeah, we don't do. Um, but we're going to get your your grilling burger game on. So this is the first thing to start with. This is a cast iron griddle. It's wow. very heavy. Oh, um, and that is to put on one side of your grill. And a lot of a lot of guys are like, oh no, you got to throw it straight on the flame. Oh. No, that's not the, what you want to do. Um, you can to to heat it up, but if you want to get a really good all over sear on it, you want to get that thing piping hot. Uh, also, that will help you toast your buns. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can go to LDI and get them lift. Yeah, you and can. Get those buns lifted. Get those buns lifted, but you want them toasted first. So that'll toast your buns, which is going to up your game. You want hot buns. Have if you don't have hot buns, you're missing out. On that note, here is a butter wheel. Which oh, was yeah, you were talking about that. Uh, Shannon's nickname in prison. you got to grease your buns. This is butter wheel. So this is a wheel that you put a couple sticks of butter in it. It heats up. And then you're able to just run. They, you'll see them use it if they're doing, um, you know, hamburger buns or rolls mm-hmm. or things like that. They'll roll them across it, and it will just put enough butter on there. Because a lot of people don't know this. They think more butter is going to make it more crispy, and it's not. If you, you have to have the right level of butter, it's just a little kiss of butter on there, and then grill it. And that's what's going to make it really crisp, the bun really crisp. So this is to, this is to butter your buns. Butter wheel, got it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the next thing, great, um, great for sporting events, it says. Yeah, well, yeah, because you're doing wheel. you're doing lots of lots of buns. Uh, the next is a uh, is a melting dome. So a melting dome is like a cloche. Um, you know, it's a, it's a oh, dome. Yeah, a cloche. We don't well, know what a cloche is. A cloche. It's like the you know. Um, like in a cartoon or a fancy place when you see them lift the lid off of the plate. Oh, that's what that is? It's a cloche. Ah. It's just an upside down. Bowl. It's also the name for a woman's hat, but. I never knew that thing had a name. The woman's hat? Yeah. Yeah. I just call them hats. She goes, I, I was a fan of Jackie O all that time and I never knew what that was. <laughs> uh, so the, this is a dome that goes over. Now, what you'll do is when at the very end of your burger making, when you're grilling it and you're searing it off, uh, you're going to put a small pat of butter on the top of your patty. Oh. And that's going to start to melt. Then you're going to put the square of cheese on there, the little slice of cheese. Then you're going to put this this on there just to squeeze a little bit of water um, so it starts to steam. You put that on there for a couple seconds and the cheese will be melted. If you wait for it to melt by putting the hood down and all those things, you, what you're ending up doing is overcooking the bur- burger. So this will kind of flash steam the the cheese to melt um, without having to overcook the patty. Okay. So this is the next uh, part of your kit. Man, this is uh, the final part is a grill scraper, which is important to keep the grill clean. And then two bottles, one you'll have with oil in it, um, and the other you'll put water so that you can steam things like the cheese. Okay. And then your uh, these are two professional uh, griddle uh, spatulas. They're longer and thinner. These are the ones that oh, you see. Oh, I love those. Um, you know, when somebody's working. It's like what Mel used at, uh, at Mel's, Mel's Diner. Diner. Yeah. Hey, Dingy. Well, you're going to Pick up, have Dingy. To, you have to make some, uh, some burgers like today. So. 
the, the key with burgers is getting the right meat. Chuck is preferred. That's a part of the shoulder of the cow. Coarse grind, which is usually what you'd find in, in the market. You want a coarser grind. If you get a lighter grind, like tends to be for turkey or chicken, it's too mushy. You want it to have a little um, bulk to it. Um, so I like Chuck. I know a lot of people swear by different things. I think Chuck is a very good uh, fatty uh, meat. You want to buy it 80% lean, 20% fat. When you make the patties for the type of burger that Gary likes, he likes the big bulky patty that you'd get at a pub. You want to make a six uh, a six ounce ball, and then put it in the fridge. Don't pack it too tight. Just make it roughly. Put it in the fridge, and when you're ready to to grill them, then pat them down into a patty, but don't over comp- uh, compress the meat. The little bits and holes on the inside yeah. is what makes it extra juicy. It, it, the the juices go in those pockets. If you over-compress, you're going to get a very dense kind of meat loafy texture. You want it lighter than that. Slightly press them down. Do not season them until they're on the grill. Then a little salt and pepper. And that's it. And that's it. If you want to up up it a tiny bit and add a little bit of flavor to it, use like Lowry's or something. But you don't, don't make meatloaf patties. Don't put onions in them. Don't put all that garbage in there. Get a really good meat with really good flavor, salt and pepper. You're going to put that uh, on a gas grill. If you're using a gas grill, you're going to do multiple zones. One zone, in this case, the zone with the the griddle on it, you're going to want to put uh, on high or medium high. The center one, you're going to want to put at medium. And then uh, keep the the one to the left off. You start your burgers. If they're thick, you start them over medium. And you let them come to temperature about 20 degrees less than where you want them at. In your case, you like the medium, right? Mm-hmm. So at medium, you're about 100, about 150, uh, 145, 150. So you're going to want to get it just under that and uh, the temperature, internal temperature with a thermometer. And then you take that patty and you put it on that hot griddle and sear the last uh, bit to go. So while it's searing, now it's going to raise. And then you take it off about within about four degrees of final temperature because it's going to raise temperature. And your patty is going to be perfect. Mm, perfect patties, hot buns. John and Ken coming up next. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Stay Thanks, dry, everybody. Blessings.